When you're making a long journey, especially with little kids, you're bound to hear one of them say at some point, are we, are we there yet, right? Uh, well, we began our journey in the gospel according to Luke back in November of 2020, which feels like a decade ago. And we have slowly but surely made our way verse by verse through this glorious book. And we've finally arrived at a major turning point in the gospel of Luke that I've been talking about for about six weeks. So as we arrive this morning at this turn, as Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners, begins his long awaited and prophesied and promised march to Jerusalem, let's continue to walk with him. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 9. We're going to begin reading in verse 51. You can find this in the Pew Bible, I believe, on page 860. If you're not used to reading a Bible, 868, we're going to begin reading there with verse 51 down to verse 56. This is what Holy Scripture says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. So this morning, there's two questions we're going to consider from this passage. First is, what in the world is the significance of these verses for your discipleship? Luke chapter 9 is all about discipleship, about your individual following of King Jesus. So what does this passage teach us about what it means to follow Jesus? And number two, perhaps even more amazing, what does this passage reveal about the merciful heart of Christ for sinners? Those are the two questions we're going to consider. I have two points this morning. The first, it's not really a point, it's more of a heading. Number one, the first thing I want you to see, we're going we're gonna to look at the passage together and then I'm going to draw a few implications before we go to the supper at our end of our service. But the first thing I want us to notice in verse 51 is this. Number one, I want you to notice the holy determination of the Savior. Now, because holy, you're thinking which holy? H-O-L-Y, the holy determination of the Savior. In verse 51, we see clearly the holy determination of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You'll look there at verse 51. We're told that Jesus sets his face to go to Jerusalem. I've been talking about this turning point in the gospel. If you remember uh, in our study of, of the gospel of Luke, Jesus has been ministering in the north, in the Galilee. 
And now he has been ministering all this time, calling his disciples in around the Sea of Galilee in the north. And now he's going to make the long march south from Galilee down to the south to Jerusalem, down in Judea. Now, in the back of your Bible, you have those maps that you never use, right? Um, We'll get to those maps later, but I'm just trying to give you a visual of what's happening. And what's amazing is for the next 10 chapters, all the way to chapter 19, Jesus is on the way to the cross and he teaches his disciples the way of the cross. So the next 10 chapters are filled with teaching about what it means to trust and follow Christ. So let's look again at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you're reading a different translation, maybe the New American Standard, that phrase, the days which he's about to be taken up, in other translations, they render that phrase his ascension, his ascension. And that's, that's a good translation. These, this is the, the, the day is coming soon for Luke when Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, die for, on the cross for sinners. He's going to be buried. Three days later, he's going to rise uh, over death. And then 40 days after that, he's going to what? Ascend into heaven. And he's going to sit down at God's right hand. And so Luke in his first volume, the the Gospel of Luke, and in his book, the second volume, the the book of Acts, he bookends and begins those two volumes emphasizing that Jesus is the one who has ascended into glory. Luke 24, the the Gospel of Luke ends with the ascension. Acts chapter 1, what do we have? A narration again of the ascension of Christ. We often neglect the glorious reality that our Savior, he didn't just rise from the dead and then keep wandering around earth. He has gone up to heaven and taken his rightful seat at God's right hand. And the same Jesus that the disciples saw after his resurrection is ruling and reigning right now. And the same Jesus is going to come again in the clouds in glory. All because he's ascended. That's what Luke is intimating here with that phrase. We're at this turning point. And just like Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 said, he is the son of man who will take his rightful seat on the throne. Now, before he gets there, before he gets to glory, Jesus is going to suffer. That's what he means when he says Jesus set his face to go to where? Jerusalem. He's told us three or four times already in this passage what's going to happen when he arrives at Jerusalem. Let me give you one reminder that we haven't read. This is in Luke 18. So towards the end of the journey, he's still telling the disciples what's going to happen when he arrives. Chapter 18, verse 31. This is what it means for him to go to Jerusalem. Listen up. Jesus says, Luke 18, 31, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon 
And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Because we know what's coming, I want you to marvel at the holy determination of the Savior. He set his face. Uh, Your translation may say he was determined. Uh, The image, it's it's almost like he's, he's, he's... He's girding himself up. His face is stoic. He's focused on Jerusalem and he's going to get there no matter the cost. He set his face. It's almost like flint. He has set his face to go to Jerusalem. But here's the amazing thing. We don't typically say, I'm determined to go to the grocery store. I don't say to Allison, I've set my face to go to giant, right? I don't don't say that. It's an odd phrase, right? And what I've said before is anytime you encounter a phrase like this that's weird, you should assume that not that Luke is weird, but that he's borrowing a phrase from the Old Testament that you don't know. So you're weird. No, I'm just kidding. No. (laughs) So, so when you read this phrase, set his face, don't be like, ah, let's keep reading. You should be like, I wonder if this is in the Old Testament. And guess what? It shows up in the Old Testament. It shows up in the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament prophets. And this is what's amazing. This is where the glory is. Listen to this. This phrase shows up in the Old Testament prophets almost exclusively when God is proclaiming divine judgment against his own people for their sins. Give you an example. I'll put some Bible under this. Jeremiah 21.10. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah was commanded by the Lord to say to Jerusalem. Because of their idolatry, because of their sin, they're going to go into exile because Nebuchadnezzar is about to destroy it, right? What does... What does the Lord tell Jeremiah to say to Israel? Jeremiah 21, 10. God says through Jeremiah, I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. But brothers and sisters, do you see the contrast here? Instead, in our passage, Jesus isn't setting his face against his unholy people to bring judgment on them. Jesus isn't setting his face to pour out his wrath on unholy, sinful people. No, 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 no. Jesus, the Holy One of Israel, is setting his face To go to Jerusalem where he will be judged. Where he will be punished. Where he will be condemned. Where he will bear the wrath of God on the cross for sinners. Where he will go as a substitute sacrifice in the place of his sinful people. Isn't that amazing? We could just close in prayer. Hallelujah, what a savior. He set his face like flint because he's wholly determined to be your savior. Nothing in heaven above or hell below can stand in the way 
of His sovereign purpose to save sinners. He has come to seek and to save the lost and nothing will get in His way. Think about how we often deal with people who sin against us. We keep fresh in our minds the injustices they've done. Maybe we nurture the memory of their faults or their failings. We like to see our enemies fall. We, we don't let them forget maybe what they've done to us. We tell others what they've done to us. We seek opportunities subtly to make them pay for what they've done to us. We hold it in our hearts. We hold it over their heads. We tell ourselves that's what they deserve. But that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the cross. Jesus doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He is determined to have your sins laid on his back. He is determined to bear the judgment for your sins. He is determined to cover all of your sins. He's determined to cleanse you from all of your sins. He's determined to cast all of your sins behind his back. He's determined to remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. He's determined, brothers and sisters, he is wholly determined. He's wholly determined to blot out your sins forever. He's determined to remember your sins no more. He came into the world to seek and to save the lost. And verse 51 tells us, listen, he is more determined to save you than even you are determined to sin. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. That is wonderful news. That's the best news in the whole world. And that's what Luke wants you to see. That the first nine chapters of Luke told us how glorious Jesus is. And here at the turn, he wants you to see he's come into the world to save sinners like you and me. That little word determined. Do you see in that word the merciful heart of the Savior? He knows what's coming and he still goes. That's the first thing. That's point number one. Point number two. Second and final point. I want you to notice in verse 52 to 56. I want you to notice the unholy desires of the disciples. We have the, the holy determination of the Savior, verse 52, and then we have, verse 51, and then we have number two, the unholy desires of the disciples, verses 52 to 56. Um, if you think about a mirror image, if the Savior's heart is revealed in his desire to go and bear the judgment of God for sinners, it's the opposite is mirrored in the disciples here. Um, look there in verse 52. We're told, and Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Now, we're not told who these messengers were, but just listen to the situation. 
when Jesus is going towards Jerusalem, it's not just Jesus and the 12. Remember, there's a massive crowd of people that are kind of the other followers that are with him. And so because of the size of the crowd, because it was very common for villages along the way to show hospitality to travelers, in a kindness, Jesus is sending messengers ahead to let people know a big crowd's about to show up in your village, right? Um, you, don't, you don't just show up unannounced with like 300 people, right? Hey, could you, you know, get enough food for us, right? So, so Jesus is sending people ahead of time. That's all that's happening. Messengers go ahead to prepare for the arrival of this massive crowd. And if you want to think about it, this would might be a good point to look at your, your, your maps in the back of your Bible. Remember, Jesus is going from the north in Galilee down to the south into Judea where Jerusalem is. But there's, there's, a, there's something between Galilee and Judea. What is it? Samaria. Samaria. So Jesus has to travel through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. Now, children, if you live in Samaria, you're called a what? See, you kids, you're so smart. Samaritans, that's exactly right. You know that word Samaritan because of that parable Jesus gave, the good Samaritan, remember? Now, what you need to know, kids, is that Samaritans and Jewish people did not get along. They did not like each other. In fact, they hated each other. In fact, many times if Jews had to travel from the north to the south, they wouldn't go through. They wouldn't even step into Samaria. They would take the long way and go around it just to avoid setting foot in Samaria. Why didn't they like each other? Well, there's some background here. The Samaritans, if you've studied your Bible, you know that after the exile, there were some Jews who came back from exile and they, they didn't get all the way back to Judea. They stopped and started living in that region and they began to intermarry and intermingle with the pagan Gentiles who had occupied that area. And so the Samaritans became, as it were, according to the Jews, theological and ethnic half-breeds. They weren't fully Gentile, but they weren't Jewish. They were kind of in between. And so the Jews thought that they perverted the Jewish faith and they didn't want to have anything to do with them. They had corrupted the faith according to Jews living at that time. So remember when Jesus at the John chapter four, when he met with the woman at the well, it wasn't just shocking that he was meeting a rabbi was meeting a woman at the well. But it was also shocking because she was a woman of Samaria, right? And John tells us in John chapter four, verse nine, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But that didn't stop Jesus, right? Jesus is like, we're going right through Samaria. And so he's traveling through Samaria. He sends the messengers ahead. But then verse 53 happens. But the people, that is the Samaritans in the village, Notice this, they did not receive him. It doesn't say they did not receive them. They did not receive him. They didn't welcome Christ into their village. All of those vacancy signs got turned off. No vacancy. All the restaurants, the, 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 the sign goes up, it's closed. Keep going. 
No room for you, buddy. He did not. They did not receive him. And we're told why? Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. We're not told any more than that. You remember in John four, the woman at the well, she's talking to Jesus and she says, you know, you Jews say that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem and our fathers say you're supposed to worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. So there was a theological animosity. There's ethnic animosity. The point is Jesus is going to Jerusalem and they do not want him there. And so they say, no, they reject. They reject this caravan of people with Jesus. Now notice the response of the disciples. Now put yourself in their shoes. What, would you, what could you have done at this point? Hey, let's pray for their hard hearts. Hey, let's, let's ask God's mercy to change them. Let's try to appeal to their kind, whatever. No. <laughs> Verse 54. Now when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and destroy them? Whoa. You, that, talk about escalating quickly, right? The messengers come back. They said we can't come. Lord, let's call in the Calvary. Let's call in the fire from heaven. Whoa. That's amazing. Now, remember, who, who was it? It was James and John. We know from the, the book of Mark, this is uh, the sons of, of, of thunder, right? Jesus called them the, the sons of thunder. Well, we know why they got that nickname, right? They're like thunder. Bring the thunder, right? But before we mock them because of their hard heartedness or their lack of mercy, we need to consider this. This is important. You re- remember in our Old Testament scripture reading? They had scriptural warrant for this. Maybe they even appealed. Lord, do you want us to do what Elijah the prophet did? Elijah called down fire from heaven and he destroyed these people. And did you remember from 2 Kings chapter 1? It was the king of Samaria. So they got scriptural warrant to justify this behavior. But you know, the devil can cite scripture for his purpose, right? Jesus is not pleased. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. (laughs) He says, no, 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 no. James and John, maybe the other apostles who were there, they failed to grasp the merciful mission of the Messiah. From his very opening sermon in Luke chapter four, Jesus has made clear that the first coming of Christ, the first mission of the Messiah is a mission of mercy. The disciples still were confused. They, think, they thought that the Messiah was going to come immediately and wipe out his enemies, judge the nations, kick out the Romans, bring fire and judgment. That's what they thought. And Jesus is consistently saying, you've got this wrong. Judgment will come. Fiery judgment will come when I come again. But this first coming is a ministry and a mission of mercy. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus has come into the world, John 19, 10, to seek and to save 
the lost. And because he's on a mission of mercy, he tells us in Luke chapter six, be merciful even as the father is merciful. So as we follow Christ on the mission of mercy, we're supposed to reflect his mercy to the world. Now, listen, make no mistake, friends. This doesn't mean that Jesus meek and mild is the whole story. We're told really clearly in God's word, he's coming again to judge the world. And on that day, scripture tells us that those who are outside of Christ will call out for mountains and hills to cover them from the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus will come to judge. Make no mistake. Listen, the day of judgment is more certain than it's certain that you're going to get out of bed tomorrow. So that day's coming. But Jesus wants his disciples to know that today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of mercy. If you, if you are within the sound of the gospel this day, it is a day of mercy for you. Because Jesus came to save. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that dreadful day of judgment hasn't come yet. So we, we offer mercy, listen, to sinners. We offer mercy to even those who hate us. Even those who hate Jesus. We offer mercy to those who have rejected Jesus. We offer mercy to those who refuse to welcome us and welcome him. Because that's the way he treated us. He welcomed us with arms of mercy. Verse 56, we're told, and they went on to another village. Okay. Because there's only a... I think a few verses here to look at. I have five points of application. (laughs) They're they're short. They're short. I promise. Number one, first implication right out of the text. I trust. Number one, they're very short. Determine to follow Christ. Determine to follow Christ. Jesus set his face. He was determined to go to the cross And our Lord and master calls each one of us to take up our cross and to what? Follow him. So you, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, children, listen, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you must determine to follow Christ. It's not your parents' faith. It's not your grandmother's faith. You must determine to trust in Jesus and say, I'm going to follow him. That's what this text is saying. Let us listen, let us strive and pray that the same holy determination that Jesus has would be given to us. Let us be willing, listen, by his grace and for his glory to go anywhere, to do anything, to suffer anything when the path of duty is clear and the voice of God speaks to us from his holy word. Let us determine to follow Christ. Number two, second point, expect rejection. Expect rejection. If you take up your cross and follow Jesus, listen, you must expect to be rejected. 
Do you remember what happened at the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry when he preached that first sermon in his hometown synagogue from Isaiah? Remember, they loved hearing it at first, but then at the end, they didn't like his sermon. In fact, they were enraged and they rejected him. And Jesus says a prophet is not without honor except where his hometown. They hated his sermon so much. They tried to throw the hometown preacher off a cliff. Jesus was rejected by his Jew, by the Jews there. And Jesus is rejected here by the Samaritans. What is he telling you? If you follow Jesus, you will be at times rejected in this world. Part of what it means to follow the suffering servant is to follow him faithfully, even when we are rejected. So what should you expect in this world as a disciple? These are, these, this is just on the table. You have to know this. Rejection, persecution, suffering, mistreatment, reviling, mocking, slander. Don't be surprised by any of these things because Jesus promises it. In this world, you will have what? Trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So expect it. All who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. Expect rejection. Number three, remember, number three, remember that vengeance belongs to God. Remember that vengeance belongs to God. When we're rejected, we're going to be tempted to lash out like the disciples were. But you need to remember that you are not to give yourself to retribution. You're to leave it in God's hands. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. First Peter chapter three, verse nine. We're commanded in Romans twelve nineteen. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So children, some of you in your classes are memorizing Psalm 145. Remember what it says in verse 8? We're told in verse 8 that the Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Isn't that beautiful? The disciples were quick to anger. But thank God that our Savior is slow to anger. Praise God for that. Determine to follow Christ. Expect rejection. Remember that vengeance belongs to God. Number four, almost done. Beware of zeal without knowledge. Beware of zeal without knowledge. Zeal can be a wonderful thing. James and John were zealous for the glory of Christ. They were zealous to defend the honor of Christ. They were justified, they thought, with scriptural warrant from the Old Testament to support their request to wipe out the villagers there. But they were rebuked by Jesus because their zeal was not according to knowledge. To, listen, to destroy a whole village of ignorant people for a single act of discourtesy is unjust and cruel. And they should have known that. 
So this is our instruction. Well, let me ask you, what are you zealous about? What are you zealous about? What, what issues of the day get you fired up? What do you see on the internet and you just have to talk to somebody because you're just fired up about it? What is it? What, what topics do you engage others in your neighborhood, at work, around the water? What is it called? The water what? Is there even water coolers anymore? I don't even know. You, whatever. If they have water coolers, whatever. But what debates, what debates do you enter for the sake of Christ? Remember, I want you to remember, this is a reminder. Listen, it's possible to have much zeal for Christ and yet exhibit that zeal in unholy and unchristian ways. It's possible to have really good intentions because you're passionate for Christ and make grievous mistakes that are harmful to the witness of Jesus. It's possible, listen, to fancy that you have scriptural support and actually be doing it from an unloving heart. Listen, Christ's church receives great injury from ignorant and well-meaning Christians. Listen to the wise words of Bishop Ryle. Let us seek to have knowledge as well as zeal. Listen, zeal without knowledge is an army without a general. Zeal without knowledge is a ship without a rudder. Brothers and sisters, let's beware of having zeal that does not accord with the knowledge of God our Savior. Number five, and we're finished. I want you to marvel at the Savior's mercy. I want you to marvel at the Savior's mercy. I know I keep saying this, but really, brothers and sisters, the Gospels are written for us For us to behold not only the works of Christ, but also the heart of Christ. That's why the Gospels were written. And so I want you to marvel at the Savior's mercy. It's not just mercy shown to that village that was about to get wiped out. It was also mercy shown to those disciples. And I want you to see how the lavish mercy of Christ in this passage transformed their own hearts. The apostles wanted fire from heaven to come down and destroy the lives of these Samaritans. But then later on, after Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and poured out the gift of his spirit at Pentecost, these men in this passage were changed. They were transformed Think about Peter from this chapter to Acts chapter two, where he's standing and and preaching Christ to those crowds in Jerusalem. James and John and the other apostles were also transformed by the power of the gospel and by the power of his saving mercy. And what do we find in the book of Acts? We're told again and again that the, the apostles want the word of God to spread out from Jerusalem. And then what happens I was talking with Andrew this week and he pointed this out. So if you like this point, it's Andrew's point. I'm I'm, I'm giving him credit for it. The apostles in Acts chapter eight travel where? To Samaria. Because they had heard that the gospel had been received by the Samaritans. 
And they go up there and they witness the Holy Spirit come down from heaven to those people that they had hated. And what are we told? This is beautiful. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, listen, preaching the gospel to the many villages of the Samaritans. Isn't that wonderful? His mercy changed them. His merciful heart transformed their their hard hearts into hearts of mercy. And he can do the same for us. I cannot wait to ask James and John, the sons of thunder, when I see them in glory. Did you go back to that village? Did you go back and preach the good news of Christ? Now, as we draw to the table, I want to point out one more glorious feature of Christ's mercy. And it's this. Maybe you ask, where do you get this kind of holy determination? Where does this kind of holy determination come from? Christ's holy determination was that he came into the world to obey his heavenly father and to fulfill the mission that God's word had prescribed. Listen to this. Even in this passage, we find our merciful savior fulfilling holy scripture. Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem And he knew full well what was before him. Jesus knew the betrayal, the unjust trial, the mocking, the scourging, the crown of thorns, the spitting, the nails, the spear, the agony. All of this was spread out before his eyes. But he never flinched. And in all of this, all of the mocking and the shame and the disgrace. Jesus is fulfilling what the prophets had written. Listen to these words as we close from Isaiah who wrote 700 years before Messiah came. He writes about the servant of the Lord who was to come. In Isaiah 50, the servant himself speaks. Listen to his words. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens me. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike. And I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and from spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Now the servant turns and addresses you. Listen to what he says to you. Who among you? 
fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly father. We thank you that we see your servant, our savior. Traveling all the way to the cross, determined to save us. Lord, he walked in the darkness that we might live in the light. Thank you, Father, for giving us your son. And thank you that he came into the world to rescue us, not because of anything we have done, but because of his grace. Thank you for the gift of faith to receive him in the empty hands of faith. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.